My Wax Museum is a proud member of the Create Vine. Hey guys, before we get into today's show, I wanted to mention something that we've actually had for a long time. You might have left us a review, you might follow us on Instagram, but you might be wondering, Alex, I want to do more to support the show and I want more bonus content. Well, you can go to patreon.com slash mywaxmuseum where you'll be given access to a special supporter-only feed that'll include bonus content like additional interviews with past guests. So we're actually having former guests come back on the show and share where they're at now. It's been really cool to start to do these interviews. We've had some awesome conversations and I am excited to share them with you. So if you want access to that, you can go to patreon.com slash mywaxmuseum and pledge even just $3 a month and gain access to this special feed. Now, onto the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by my friend, Bethany Prettyman. Now, Bethany is awesome, and she's always looking to share some light with people, and that makes this conversation just a delight. We talk about why she tries to share that light with people, and the story behind how she got started doing that, and why she continues doing that. And remember, after today's show, make five minutes in your day to listen intently to the people around you. Bethany Prettyman, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I, I always like to start each episode with how we know each other. So um, we've known each other for a couple years now, and I like to get the guests to, to tell if there's a particular moment you remember when we met or a time you remember how we met or whatever it is, uh, if you would like to, um, any recollection you have. Okay, so we met, um, we were in the same I group our freshman semester, I believe, here at BYU-Idaho, and then we ended up in the same ward, and y'all would come over to our apartment for cookies. That's true. Yeah, we did have, have cookies at your apartment a lot. So yeah, that was our first semester, fall 2018 yeah yeah and i yeah i guess we would have met i guess our first day at byu idaho we were in that same i group the kind of welcome welcome group get orientated kind of group um yeah that is interesting um and then you just got back from your mission uh for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints uh, and then you're back here, but yeah, I haven't seen you in like a year and a half. Um, so that's, that's kind of crazy. So why don't you fill me in then? I kind of like to start a little bit narrative from the beginning of your life, kind of work through. Sometimes we get caught up on a certain theme. Sometimes it's kind of more of a travel log. So why don't you fill me in first? Where are you from originally? I am from Southern Maryland in a county called St. Mary's, and there's not much there. There's Amish, and I've lived there my entire life. I'm number nine of ten kids, and yeah, and so I grew up there. I'm trying to think, my life isn't too exciting. I mean, being number nine of ten is pretty exciting. It is. So you like, you're never alone. And I feel like 
I did older things younger. Like I memorized my multiplication table. My sister did because when she memorized them, I had to do it with her. So I was like six years old walking into math class saying, I know my times tables. So that was always fun. And then my siblings, like my brothers, always take me out on their dates to try and impress girls. I remember once my brother just kept giving me all this sugar and snacks to keep me happy. And then I threw up. Really? And the date ended. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Uh, so what's the what's the age difference between you and your oldest sibling then? So there's 16 years between me and my oldest sibling. And then a little sister under me that's two years younger. Wow. So the oldest went to college and the youngest was born. Wow. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I come from the other end of a big family. I'm one of the oldest. And so uh, fill me in a little bit. This is a question I like to ask people when I interview somebody who's on the younger end of their family. What was the relationship like between you and your older siblings? And in what ways did you interact with them other than being uh, fed candy on dates? So I remember anytime my sister would come home to visit, like we'd know, and we'd just sit by the window or the door and just wait for her. And as soon as her car pulled up, we'd like run out the door and tackle her. And like, Megan, 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 Megan. And she'd always bring a little gift or something. It was always really magical when she came home. And I think sometimes she was like more like a mom or an older aunt than a big sister, but she's always like been my big sister. And I think it's exciting too, because have so many older siblings, you have all these nieces and nephews that don't live with you. So it's like a big sibling minus the downsides of living with a baby. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Do you have a lot of nieces and nephews? I have 13. Wow. And they're all under the age of seven. What? Really? Yeah. So all my siblings just started their families at the exact same time. So like the middle ones are kind of younger and the upper ones were a little older when they started. And so every six months there's a baby. Wow. That's insane. Do you, so do they all live back in Maryland then? So my brothers live in Maryland and my sisters live in Utah. Really? Interesting. Mm -hmm. That is really cool. Um, so you would have been... How old when, when you became an aunt? I was 12 and a half. Yeah. 13. And what was, what was that like? Like what was, I guess, what was your mentality going into that experience as a, as a 13 year old? Was it like, oh, cool. There's a baby in the family or like, yeah. What, what was going on? I think it's just so weird when your siblings have their first kid because they're an adult and they're responsible for another human being. But you don't see them that way. Like you see them as your goofy sibling who can't take care of themselves and does weird things with you. And then you see them holding this little baby. You're like, oh my goodness, that kid's going to think the world of you. You're going to know everything in their eyes. Like I remember I held my first niece. I was actually terrified because I was standing up. I was like, if I drop her, it's a really long fall. I'm assuming you didn't drop her. I didn't. At least not that one. <laughs> Are they are they more fun when they get bigger? They are. I feel like they're like two years old. I think that's the best age to be an aunt because they're horrible for their parents, but they're great for you. And then they get a little older and the girls have longer hair and they get more into like dress up and you can play with them. 
But I think like little boys are the most annoying things in the world because they're just like toys and destruction and trucks. Do you have, what's the split of like your nieces and nephews? Is it mostly girls? I think it's mostly girls. I have to count. So three, two, yeah, so there's seven girls hmm. and... But the girls are better? The girls are better. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious, do you think, I'm curious on your perspective then, getting to spend time around uh, these little people as your nieces and nephews, What's your perspective looking back on you as a child then? Do you think that you were like this nice, sweet little girl who just liked to play dress up and have fun? Or or were you a little different? I think I was a little different because my, all my nieces and nephews are the top of their family. So they're the older siblings. So like my nieces are a little more nurturing than I would have been as a kid. Like I remember just being kind of a crazy kid and just kind of insane sometimes like I felt bad for my mom when I look back I was like I was a kid like in class like the Sunday school teacher has to like take you and walk you out to your mom or they're like sit down and so like but my nieces because they're like the oldest they just have like this nurturing side of them that is being catered as they take care of their little siblings I was always like the little sister that was taken care of I still kind of am now my siblings are like, I'm in college, but my brother's here. And if I need something, he comes and helps me. So you're pretty lucky. Um, I, so look, looking at that, looking at you as a child, kind of as a, as a troublemaker, you think that's just because you're one of the youngest, so you could just get away with a lot? I think so. I think I always had like older siblings that like encouraged, because everyone thinks it's funny when like, a little kid does something weird. Or they shouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah, it is funny. Do you think you still uh, do that? Like, do you still kind of act like a troublemaker, do you think? I don't think so. I think there's, like, like a turning point sometime. Like, I remember when I was, like, so like going on a mission is, like, a very spiritual thing that people usually do when they're committed to a faith. And so I remember when I said, hey, I think I'm going on a mission, it kind of shook everyone. Like, I didn't see that coming from you. And your sister's like, I think that's the last thing I thought you would ever do. Interesting. Um, if you were, if you were to meet uh, like a twelve-year-old you right now, and you met them, um, what do you think your expectation would be for their future? I think like, like I was always a bright kid, so like academically, I'd still have high hopes, but like. I think socially I didn't hang out with the best friends or have like, so when I was 11 years old, I got something called Bell's Posley, which is when half your like facial nerve stops working and it's not common in children. And so I remember like when that happened, I was kind of like a grumpy kid and like to compensate for like lower self-esteem, I kind of became like even meaner. And so I wasn't the nicest kid. Like I kind of bullied kids and like, if someone kicked someone at recess, it was me kind of thing. Interesting. And it, you, it's Bell's palsy is what it's called? Yeah. So I still have it today. I think it's less noticeable because like as I got older, my expressions changed. Right. As like adapted to it. Interesting. So, so going through this as a kid, was it like um, – 
was it like a sudden thing that happened or was it gradual? Like, and then what, as this was happening, I'm curious, what was your perspective as a child on it? So it just happened. Urban eyes. I woke up one morning and my facial nerve had like died. It was, it was like not working. And it kind of just like crumbled up and it was, and ever since like, that's what was in the diagnosis. I had to go to a couple of doctors and to like a face, like a neuro specialist. And they didn't, that's when they decided it was that. And there's like no treatment for it. So they just told us like six weeks to six months and it should heal itself, which is like the common thing that happens when it does happen. But in my case, it didn't really heal fully. So there is some movement. So I can like, like I can still move this cheek, but I can't like move my nostril or my eyebrow or like crinkle my cheek, which means less wrinkles in the long run. <laughs> but when it, when it happened, I was very self-conscious about it because other kids noticed. And people were like, oh, why can't you raise your eyebrow? Why don't you smile? Because I couldn't physically smile for a long time. And so that was really hard when you're like, in, like it was middle school. And like middle school is such like a pivotal point when you're like so focused on who you are and what you're going to be. And I remember like just waiting because they said six weeks to six months and then time went on and we saw a couple more doctors and said, well, there's not much we can do. And then they, they later like gave the option of like, there were some like surgeries that could or couldn't work out. And I decided not to do those. And so I think in the process, like it's something I still have, like I'm still self-conscious about but I'm actually really grateful for it because it kind of taught me like not to get my self-worth from like the way I look or how a picture turns out for like right now in the world, like everyone determines who they are based on social media and their likes and their views. And it's like that kind of motivated me a couple of years after that to like want to be the person that everyone likes because of who they are and how they make people feel. And so in the moment, I just, like, I remember it was like, kind of led to, like, a faith crisis and like, 11, 12-year-old, which is kind of young for it. Because, like, I remember everyone was told you as a kid, like, if you pray, things work out. You read stories where Jesus heals people. But I prayed and things didn't happen. And Jesus didn't appear and heal me as I magically hoped as a little kid. But I think it, it led to me having, like, a greater faith and a greater self-worth interesting yeah i i'm kind of curious about like the self-worth and like the the confidence idea because i think at least this is the way that you come across to people who know you your your friends like us um you come across as very confident fun loving like a very um happy person and you mentioned wanting to help uplift other people and giving them confidence as well and i think you absolutely do that um and i'm curious how you kind of made that transition to um from from struggling with your confidence right that middle school life where you're trying to figure out who you are and you know look a certain way and live a certain way and struggling with your confidence there to ultimately, you know, feeling good about yourself. So at first, 
I think it was actually like who my friends were and like the social group I tried to be a part of. And so I, like I just tried to hang out with people that were like the it crowd or the cool people. And that's who I did hang out with. And I got invited to things and I went to like parties and I got to hang out with people and I was liked for that. But like most of the world isn't going to parties and isn't a part of whatever people socially determine as the popular the it crowd. And I remember, oh, sorry. At, like I had a friend that had a party and she didn't invite me. I was so hurt and I was so upset. I just didn't like feeling that way. It made me think about like how many people like you see at school that sit alone or how many people that don't have a friend or someone who doesn't get invited. And I just started trying to like be with those people. So if there's like a group project, I wouldn't go be with my friends. I'd wait to see who didn't have a partner and go talk to them. And I think of time as I started like kind of going for the underdogs and just caring about other people. I found my self-worth and confidence as I let go of it, kind of like as I stopped caring and just focused on being a friend to other people and trying to help other people feel loved and worthwhile. Hey guys, awesome conversation so far, right? Yeah, I love getting to sit down every single week and have these conversations with people. And what's really cool is they're recorded, so I get to listen back through them. They're like these awesome little memories. Now, if you want to support me continuing to do this, there are a few ways you can do that. You can follow us on Instagram. Just listening to the podcast is a huge help. And, of course, you can leave us a review on Podchaser or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, something I've started asking, and I asked at the beginning of this episode, is that if you're interested in getting extra bonus content, I mean, more interviews with past guests, you can go to patreon.com slash mywaxmuseum and just pledge even just $3 a month will give you access to that special feed. With that, thanks for the support, however you're giving it. It's fantastic. I love doing these interviews and any excuse I can get to continue doing them is a huge help. Now, back to the show. Yeah, is there a specific moment um, while you were going through this process of, of helping other people feel loved? Uh, is there a specific moment you can think of where you kind of did some introspection, looked at yourself and said, huh, you know, like, I feel I feel good about who I am and what I'm doing. I think it's been like several moments over time. I think one in particular was in high school and I remember like in my church group there was this girl who other people didn't include or didn't talk to. And so I started including her and talking to her. And once you start including someone, other people include them. I think it's just how people work. If they see other people like someone, they want to go towards them. I remember like, when I started hanging out with this girl, other people did. And she was just so much happier. And it just brought me joy. And I remember just sitting there. And, and I recognized that like what brought me joy wasn't what the other people were saying. Like, oh, Bethany's a good person and doing these good things. But it was because this person I was with, that she was feeling joy, that she was feeling loved. And so then I recognized that, that I just 
anytime like I do something nice for someone or try to make someone joy, I don't think about what other people are thinking, but I think about that individual. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think it does. I, I, I think you're, you know, like you're trying to be in that moment and focus on on that individual is kind of the sense that that I'm getting from you. Yeah, do you think this is just a kind of a like a curiosity thing? Do you think there's a world where you where you didn't follow that path of trying to uplift people um, and make them feel loved, uh, where you didn't follow that path, and then like, what do you think your life would look like if you didn't do that? I think I'd be a lot sadder, and I wouldn't have quality friendships. And I think I just, I, I wouldn't like who I was. Because I think it's a part of like self-worth is liking who you are. And if I wasn't a good person or a nice person or about someone that made other people feel bad, I just wouldn't like myself. And like, I think in the moment, oftentimes, like I don't realize, I think most people don't like you're doing something nice for someone that influence that has on them until a couple of years later when they tell you. And then you look back and you wonder, like, what would happen if I chose not to do that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just remembering um, my first impression of you. We're kind of, I mean, usually we'd say, say this kind of in the beginning, but I, I didn't remember until just now. I remember, do you remember um, when we were in our group, in our, like, orientation group, the I group, and we were, like, standing in a circle and we all had to say... Um, say uh something that like an adjective that began began with the same letter as our name yes do you remember that and we're standing in the circle and i remember you were like a few people before i went and you said beautiful bethany and i remember being like wow confidence like that's super cool yeah and i i just i just thought that was really um really impressive so like, what do you do? Like, because obviously, I'm assuming, I mean, and you know what they say about assuming, but I'm making an assumption here. I'm assuming that you don't feel like 100% all the time, that you don't always feel like uplifting other people, that you don't always feel like um, being confident and, you know, uh, and whatever else comes with that. Um what do you what do you do in those moments assuming you have them um where you aren't feeling that so like in the moments where i don't feel like physically beautiful or something like that i just i love makeup and putting on pretty clothes and so like if i don't feel physically like the way i look is beautiful i can i have the ability to change that with the way I present myself. And I think the same thing applies to when I don't feel up to being a nice person to someone else because I'm having a bad day, is you just kind of put makeup on and you do it because it's what's right. And after you start doing it, like whenever you do something nice, you always feel good. And after you feel that good feeling, you want to keep doing it. It's contagious. It's, it's like a drug. You just keep going. And so just do it. I think part of it like I run and it's a runner mentality is like you never feel like running but you run the first three miles and then you can keep going 
And so you just do it. And then you, the motivation comes after you do it. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Um, how do you how do you get up the the momentum? Maybe continuing with the running analogy, um, in the morning when you get up to run, uh, and you don't feel like doing it, how do you get up that will, that momentum to actually do it? I think it's a part of self mastery that, like, our our cognitive or spirit, it's different than our body. And like what our brain says or our mind says is different what our body is going to say. And it's just having power over your body. I think almost every time I get up to go for a run, I don't actually physically feel like it. But I tell myself I'm going to do it. And then I do it. Yeah. And then at the end of it, how do you feel? You always feel so good and accomplished. And then you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, I just did that. And you always feel better after run of an hour running than if you sat for an hour. Yeah, amen to that. That that is the truth. Do you feel like kind of, you know, leading into looking looking to the future of your life? Um I'm curious how how you hope to continue implementing this mentality as you move forward. So like the just being a good person mentality or Yeah, being a good person, uplifting people, like getting out and just like doing it kind of thing. I think just not hesitating to follow a good idea or a prompting. Like, I believe, like, all good ideas and promptings come from God through the Holy Spirit. Or some people might believe that's just your conscience. But just always following those because they're a good thing. Like, even now in school, like, there's a pandemic and you can't exactly do things. But I still try to to follow the, the ideas to just pop in my head, like make someone breakfast in bed or smile at that person or go back and ask that person how their day was going. Like the other day in class, I really wasn't feel like I was wearing a mask and I was physics. I didn't feel like talking to people. And this kid next to me said, let's try to start a conversation at first. I was like, I'm not feeling this. And like, after I kind of dismissed it, I was like, I have to be a good person. I need to talk to this person. So I turned back and I tried to talk to them and brighten their day even though we're in masks and you can't understand each other yeah you always uh you always like bring such a light to conversations and stuff uh and i know like me and my roommates we really enjoy spending time with you guys um because you you do bring that that joy is there anything you would say to somebody right now who is maybe struggling to either feel like to either feel like being a nice person or um or just somebody who's maybe struggling with being happy in general i think if someone's struggling with being happy something i always love to do if i'm ungrateful, like i just feel down or something it's just like feel the sun on your skin this sounds kind of cheesy, but I remember like this whole COVID thing hit, like I just went outside on this porch and I was like, the sun's shining, life is still good. And sometimes there's clouds, so you can feel the, the raindrops on your skin too. Just knowing like the world goes on and life goes on, and you can still find joy in the little things, I guess. And there's little things to be grateful for. Like I get most of my joy, I think, from gratitude because I keep like a daily gratitude journal and I write even when I'm like super sad, I think there's like nothing to be grateful for. I'm angry at God. I start to write things down. 
And like sometimes the most mundane things like had air to breathe today. <laughs> it helps. It really does help. Um, I and I I've really enjoyed how how our conversation has centered around um, you know this idea of of finding joy, of sharing joy, of talking to people who need it, uplifting people, and building self confidence too. Um, and and I, I'm glad it's kind of taken that thematic bent. At the end of all of the interviews, I really like to ask people um, what, at the end of their life, it's been, you know, hopefully you've lived 150 years. Medical technology has just like gone really well. You're 150 years old. You're laying on your deathbed and you're you're thinking back to all the moments you've lived through both you know things that you've already done and things that you've yet to do what are the things in that moment that you are looking back on with the most pride and with the most satisfaction for me personally which might be like because i'm fresh off an lds mission or a church's christ Saints mission it's just like looking back and recognizing the points when i was the hands of the savior in people's lives. Like those are going to be the, the happiest times. Cause I feel like that's for me, like that's one of the main purposes of my life is just to be that influence in other people's lives for Christ. Yeah. Well, that's great. And um, yeah, I just, I just want to say thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. And thank you for listening, not just to this show, which we certainly do appreciate, but more to the people around you, the people in your life that you just happen to know. Take some time, just five minutes, to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco, 